You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, we welcome VFLW senior coach Penny Cooler-Reed. Penny has been a trailblazer in women's footy long before the inception of the AFLW and VFLW competitions. When she was told at the age of 14 she couldn't play footy anymore because she was a girl, she took her fight to VCAT, resulting in the establishment of the Youth Girls League. She went on to play for Collingwood in the inaugural AFLW season and coached the Collingwood VFLW side to a premiership in 2019 before making the move to Williamstown Football Club. Penny, thanks so much for joining me today. Ash, no worries. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so Penny, can you tell me a little about your journey? I understand you started playing footy at the age of six. Yeah, I did. So I went down to my local football club with my older brother who's 13 months older than me and they went, oh, we'll take the boy but not the girl. And I was like, mm, okay, well, you know, I'm six years old. I don't know much about it. So my mum said, oh, sorry, you know, they come as a pigeon pair. You've got to take them both. Anyway, we went to another local football club called the Murrumbina Junior Football Club and played three years of under nines and then worked through um, the boys, junior boys program up until the age of 14 where one cold rainy evening at a training night I got tapped on the shoulder to have that um, conversation about, you know, I'm really sorry, Pen, but you can't play footy anymore. And I looked at the official and I just asked why. And I said, because you're a girl. For me at the time I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, I did not understand that, you know, just because I was a girl that I was different and that I wasn't allowed to play because I was different. took me a little while to, you know, take the time to swallow that pill and then, you know, mum saw how upset and sad I was and she goes, Pen, like, what do you want to do? And I said, mum, I want to play footy. She goes, right, let's get the bastards. So a group of us, there were two girls at the time as well, um, alongside me, Emily Stanya and Helen Taylor, decided that we wanted to do something about it um, and like you said in the intro took AFL Victoria to the VCAT courts in 2002 where we um, applied for an injunction which meant that we could play out the rest of the season and then had the, the court case sort of adjourned to say that the female participation regulation rule was out of date and that girls could now play in mixed competition up until the age of 12. Uh, sorry, at the age of 14, and then from there into a youth girls competition. So a pathway was created um, so girls could now play football through the ages of, you know, how, whatever many years they wanted to, and then into the senior women. So from uh, my last game at the Murrumbina Junior Football Club, I went to um, St Kilda Sharks down at the peanut farm behind Luna Park um, and started my senior women's football career at the age of 16 was lucky enough to be picked up in a few state teams um, across my journey, a couple of All-Australians, was granted the honour to travel to Ireland and, and represent Australia in the international rules, the first and only ever um, female side to go across to Ireland. Jeez, they were so fast and it was so <laughs> bloody cold over there too. Um, I bet it was. Yeah, I was fresh 18 and I think my favourite moment was when I got the opportunity to go to the Guinness factory um, and try like a fresh oh, yeah. pint of Guinness. <laughs> Lucky I was legal um, at the time. Um, and then through the journey, the expedition matches between Western Bulldogs and Melbourne uh, football club, so drafted to the Western Bulldogs um, in one of those expedition matches and then went to Melbourne and then 2017 
at pick 102, Collingwood Football Club called my name and I was like, my life is over. This is the best. You know, a dream come true. All I ever wanted to do was play for the Collingwood Football Club and here I am walking through the doors of the Holden Centre, rubbing shoulders with Eddie Maguire and, and Nathan Buckley at the time who were, you know, my heroes growing up and, you know, then... I started playing um, at Collingwood. My body just wasn't right. They offered me the coaching job and I said, why the hell not? Coached the inaugural 2018 VFLW side to minor premiers, was awarded the coach of the year for my first year of coaching and then a premiership in 2019. Um, and then, you know, at the top, what else can he do except start at the bottom again? So I moved across to the Williamstown Football Club uh, where I'm currently uh, coaching and, and loving every minute of it. Let's rewind back to that moment when you were six years old and were told that your brother could play footy and you couldn't and your mum stepped in at that moment and didn't take that as as the ultimate final answer and went elsewhere to find a place for you to play. How much do you think that kind of paved the way for you also not accepting that that was uh, an acceptable response? I think in hindsight, looking back on it, it was probably, um, I've got a, every time I think about this, I've got a lot of mum um, ambition and, and determination about what is right and what is wrong um, and making those changes. And I think that for me was a bit of a, a stepping stone and an eye opener um, to go that, you know, just because of I may be a little bit different, that that doesn't mean I'm not available or, or should have the same opportunities um, as my brother just because, you know, he's, he's a boy. Um, and I think for me that really drove a lot of who I am now and what I, what I believe in, in, in um, I guess my passions and, and what I think is right and what I fight for. At the time, did you realise as well just how significant your win at VCAT was? Because that was a huge feat for a 14-year-old and a couple of other girls from the footy clubs to, to do. COVID allowed me to have the time to sit back and reflect and... When I was going through it, I was just so overwhelmed, you know, being a 14-year-old girl, let alone being chased down the streets by media to ask a question and, you know, I've, I've got my own problems trying to finish school and go through exams to let alone fighting a court case. So that time for me was really difficult and it wasn't until 2020 where I had the opportunity to actually sit back and go, holy crap, like what happened then was a huge moment, not just in, in women's sport but in, in the world in general about challenging the social norms of what's acceptable and what isn't, women in leadership and where that's all headed now and, you know, for girls to stand up for what they believe in and, and stand up for what they what their rights are. So I think, you know, not at the time I didn't realise how significant it was but now having the opportunity to have the time to sit back and go, and, yeah, like that was pretty cool. What kind of response did you receive after that win? Mixed actually. Um, had a few... Mums asked my mum, like, how dare you let your daughter play this dangerous sport, you know? She could get hurt. And she's like, yeah, and so could my son. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some other women that would be like, yes, you go, girls. You keep fighting for 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 what's right. And I, I remember this young girl who came to the court case. She was only probably about seven or eight um, with her footy and she was in the, in the courtrooms. And I think for me that was a really strong moment to realise, you know, that it's not about me and it's not about me playing footy. It's about the opportunities that these girls, you know, can have growing up, that they get to choose the sport that they love to play. That the decision isn't made for them by some bloke at the local footy club. Exactly. Yep. It's up to them. 
Now, what was that moment like for you when you were drafted to Collingwood in the AFLW in, in 2017? How highly does that sit, I guess, in, in your career to date? Pretty high. Um, <laughs> I remember, you know, like in grade two, they sort of ask, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you got to draw this picture and all my friends are drawing like doctors and um, nurses and, and police officers. Here I am tracing Stuart Lowe, putting a ponytail on him, putting him in a Collingwood jumper and going, I want to play for the Collingwood Football Club. And growing up, like I didn't realise that that wasn't possible until I got a little bit older and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's no women's football. Oh, well. But then to actually see it, believe it and then live it is, as I say, like a dream come true. And I remember it was, I was teaching at the time. I made sure that my class had an assessment, had their headphones in and listening to the draft. And I just remember jumping up and screaming and the room was silent, just going, oh my God, everyone, I'm going to Collingwood. And then we just had a bit of a happy dance. And I think for me, the moment that it really hit was when I was walking into the Holden Centre, the beautiful lights of Amy Park across the street, and then you've got the glass house lit up. And it's just one of these moments that you never expected to happen, you only dreamed of. And so when it was actually happening, I literally, like, literally had to pinch myself to go, yeah, this is real. This is happening. Now, there has been a surge in girls taking up the sport since the league was established. How much do you think this notion of if you see it, you can be it plays into that? Huge, huge. And it's one of these things that we're starting to see more female role models in sport, but also in leadership. And I think it's one thing that I've learnt over my journey is that if it's there, it's possible. And if we can't see it, then we need to find a lens that we can see whatever's possible um, and keep pushing those barriers and boundaries and really strive for going outside our comfort zone and and really taking that risk because if we don't, no one else will. Mm. When you were at Collingwood playing AFLW, what was your routine like? Were there particular things that you were doing day to day to try and ensure success? Um, first thing was that, you know, we were all working, um, or studying full time. So trying to find the work life balance was really important for, I guess, the establishment of the competition. And so it was a super early mornings, waking up at six o'clock, going to do recovery at the pool, getting home, feeding the kids, meeting the animals that that I had, um, (laughs) (laughs) making sure we're getting a nutritious uh, meal, going to work, doing some stretching during the day. Then coming home, getting changed, getting your bag, driving into the holding centre and then preparing. So you're prehab, you're doing your weights, training until nine o'clock at night, getting home, making dinner and then doing it all over again. So that was three to four nights a week um, for the, oh, I think it was about six months. Was that incredibly challenging balancing full-time work and essentially playing footy at a professional level where you're expected to rise to the occasion as a professional athlete? Huge challenge. And I think on reflection, looking back at it, it was more of a mental challenge than a physical challenge. So trying to get yourself up to this peak performance every single time you step onto onto the footy field because you're basically fighting for a position every time that you go in. So for me, it was more of a mental battle than a physical battle and to try and do it over and over and over and over and over again um, really sort of took a toll on my mental health. And it's yeah. not until now that it, it's really starting to be at the, at the forefront of sporting clubs that, you know, Uh, Mental health is so important in terms of getting the peak performance for your players. And so balancing work, balancing football, balancing life, family, partners, friends. Um, I think I was was quite fortunate that at the time my partner was also playing for Melbourne. So we were 
in the same boat. We could bounce off each other, um, but it definitely took a toll on on our relationship because we trained different nights. Took a toll on yeah. my parents, um, my friends. They're like, we never see you anymore. And I'm like, I know, I'm really sorry. I'll see you in about six months. Um, and so, again, it's just finding that balance that works. And I guess, you know, any advice that I could give any elite sport person is that it's important to look after yourself and your friends because you can't be perform at your best if you are not your best. Mm-hmm. And it, external to the actual routine itself, there was a lot of noise that came with the inception of the women's competition. There was feedback from both sides, I guess, in, in terms of some people being very supportive of a women's league and, and some people perhaps not so supportive. What was that like as a player having that external noise around you? I think for me, I'm all about showcasing the bright side or the good side of everything. I always like to find the diamond in the rough. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I'm quite open in having conversations about educating people. And I think that was the main message that I drove was for those who were like, oh, women's football is, is not at the standard and it's not good and girls shouldn't play footy. I said, mate, go down and have a look. Go down and see it because these girls can play. And it's not until you can actually say that you've gone, oh, okay, yeah, uh, these girls can play, that you can really make an educated decision. So of course. I, I like the fact that people have opinions. I think it's great. But it's also about, you know, getting your facts right. Of course, of course. Now, of course, you, you then made that transition to this coaching role and this coaching space. What was it like for you moving into that very defined leadership position? Because on, on a footy field, there are leaders who emerge throughout play, but then moving into a coaching position, it's a very clear defined leadership role. How did you find that transition? Very challenging. Yeah, very, very challenging. And I think for me being so young, um, but more so about me transitioning from being these girls' teammate to then being their coach and Mm -hmm. finding that balance and finding that line to go, all right, I'm now like authority. I'm now like a coaching you and I am your leader. And I think for me that was a huge learning curve and I had to take a big step very quickly for me identify that, I am now telling him what to do or sort of like guiding them into where I think or what we should be doing. My philosophy is all about, you know, how do we do this together? I need your help. Help me help you basically. And so I learnt very quickly about the line and, you know, you've got to make break a few eggs to make the perfect omelette. Um, So (laughs) there's a few few, um, egg cartons lying around my house, that's for sure. (laughs) Now, did you have an idea of the kind of leader you wanted to be when you first took on that coaching role? Good question. Um, Not exactly. I think it was one of those things that I just already had. Like I was a leader going through my time at St Kilda Sharks being in the leadership group and I always had a passion to educate others. So that's always been one of my core values and core philosophies as, as a coach is to really educate people around me. So it's not just about the players, it's about the people above, the people beside is really important about educating in any aspect because we're all students of life and what am I passionate about and what can I bring to help others be the best selves. Did you have mentors going through that you looked to, I guess, to to cherry pick some of their leadership qualities and utilise them in your own practice? Yeah, there was um, 
one of the greatest footballers that I've ever had the honour of playing with and then playing, well, playing against first, then playing with and then being coached by and then coached with. So um, a lady called Shannon McFerrin who is, I guess, we could put her in comparison to the Daisy Pierce of her time, one of the greatest footballers back in the day, we can call it. And it was just so nice because she was so open to having conversations about leadership, how she went about being a coach, her transition from playing to coaching. And it was just great to have her support in my first year of coaching as well. So she was part of the AFLW coaching panel while I was going through the VFL program. So it was really um, nice to have her support and to have her as a sounding board as I started my coaching journey. What were some of the best pieces of advice that she gave you that you've really harnessed and taken forward? One of the things that she always said to me is, Pen, you know your footy. It's now just a matter of how do you communicate that effectively to the 40 girls that you're coaching? How can you continue to challenge those who already know the game? And then how do you make sure it's not too overwhelming for those who are just learning the game? So finding that balance between different types of communication, um, different levels and different languages. That's great advice. She's on the money there too to to back yourself because I think that's something that especially a lot of women may not necessarily do straight away. So that's that's a great piece of advice. Whether she says it and I take it, it's a different thing. Now you have moved to Williamstown and your position there is is a bit of a first as well. It's funny, I always come up with these first. Yeah, I'm the first <laughs> full-time female football coach. What is that like for you to hit that milestone? Um, pretty awesome. And again, I think it's one of those things where I was really strong in um, what I wanted and unfortunately Collingwood could not provide me with a full-time role whereas Williamstown was able to provide me with a full-time role that was um, that really appealed to me and also because what I want to do is continue to educate. So the Western region is one of the lowest regions in terms of female participation and so part of what I want to do is really increase that football participation in the West and make it one of the strongest leagues. So that was sort of like another carrot for me to jump across to the Western region. But yeah, I think the sustainability and the ability to provide me with a full-time job as a football coach is was really appealing. And I could have been the one that goes, oh, nah, that's okay. I'll stay where I am and be happy and work X amount of hours for X amount of dollars. But again, if I'm not the one that's pushing these barriers for, you know, women's rights or, you know, female football. And like I said, the standard that you walk past is a standard that you accept. And I wasn't willing to accept that standard. How has that process been like for you moving into a full-time role where you are coaching at a full-time capacity? I love it. (laughs) I think it's awesome. Um, It now gives me a bit more time and flexibility to do a bit more research, be more organised. But what I've really learned this year was that I was running on such high levels of stress um, and high levels of panic and anxiety where I needed to, you know, do everything that I asked my players to do. And I can't be my best self and I can't give my best self if I'm not doing the right thing. So this year was, was a really good test for me being in that high stress situation where I needed to find a way to de-stress. And part of that de-stress was I found this amazing thing called yoga and I was not... <laughs> a yoga person. Like I'm not flexible, nor can I just stay still. Like I'm a go, go, go. But what I found, it was the only place that I could find stillness and be with me in that space for one hour 
just mm-hmm. that's it. And whether it's twice a week, three times a week, once a week, whatever I could fit into the schedule. Um, and for me, when I came out of it, I was just like, right, here we go. I'm back on. I'm recharged. I'm reset. Let, let's let's go get the world. And I was sort of like depleting every single time that I was coaching. I was just getting less energised. When you go to bed, the thoughts just, just go through, okay, could have done this better. I need to do this next week, da-da-da-da-da. Whereas, yeah, it's the only place that I could find stillness. We spoke about your routine as a player. Let's touch on your routine now as a coach. So yoga is obviously now a new addition to that routine. What else are you doing uh, as a coach that in this new routine? Uh, a lot of it's about preparation. So it's about whether it's planting the seed or making sure that these players are prepared for the game or that my coaches are prepared to say the messages. A lot of it's about planting seeds and strategically having conversations to players, having conversations with the coaches about this is what we need to see, this is where we're heading, this is a plan. Um, For me on game day it's a decaf coffee because I get a bit anxious when I coach (laughs) so just to calm those nerves a little bit. I listen to country music on the way to to the games just because I just love a bit of hubilly Um, (laughs) and then again it keeps me nice and calm. But it's it's about finding what works Um, and it took me a little while. I had game day socks and then we were losing, so I threw them out, got a new pair, and then we were losing again, so I threw them out and gone, all right, got to find a new strategy. <laughs> the superstitions aren't working. No, nah, not this not this round. <laughs> um, but, again, it's, it's more about, you know, what does success look like for us and really um, driving those key messages. Were there any other major lessons from your time as coach at Collingwood that you took with you to Williamstown in, in terms of, I guess, leadership strategies and the way you might approach things? Yeah, heaps, heaps of stuff. One of the biggest things was was about leadership and making sure that my relationship with the leadership group was really strong because I need to filter my messages through them because they need to drive the standard and they need to drive those messages across the playing group. And same for the playing group to have the ability to speak to leaders and then if they need to speak to me, they can elevate it to me. Um, so we went through a pretty lengthy leadership selection process and I think I'm definitely reaping the rewards of it. My leadership group at Williamstown, are they're phenomenal and I will continue to support them as they continue to support me. That's awesome. Now, the theme of this year's podcast is leadership through adversity. What are some of the biggest challenges that you think you've faced? Being a female? Um, <laughs> well, I actually don't see that as a challenge. I see that as an opportunity and it's taken me a little while to really understand what that means and it's not a, a negative thing that I'm a female. I think it's a huge positive because what we can bring as females, you know, lots of men can't bring in terms of our empathy, our strategic planning, our thinking, our organisation, our communication skills, our empathy. It's all extremely different to the way that, you know, males experience life. And I think for me it's more about using what I have as a female as a strength and really driving that to organisations or coaches or my employee as I continue my, my career through, you know, leadership. Another thing was really making sure that I'm strong in my values too. And if there is um, a coach, an organisation that doesn't really sit with my values, then I need to be strong enough to say, no, thanks, that's not for me. And I think that took me a little while to define those types of values that I have. So my values are to empower, encourage and engage. So Everything I do, they're the values that I live by, empowering people around me, encourage them to be the best they can and making sure that I'm encouraging everyone. 
Do you think the perception has changed over the recent years since the inception of the AFLW and VFLW competitions in terms of that attitude towards women playing sport, women in leadership roles within the sport, and I, I guess in other aspects of life more generally? Are you seeing that transition? Do you feel like you're reaping the rewards of, of trying to have an influence in that space? I feel like I'm I'm just on the, the surface of those rewards and I will continue to push those boundaries and challenge those um, organisations about, you know, women um, and girls. And it's not so much, again, about me, but it's about that next generation that get to have the benefits that, you know, even ladies before me that have really pushed and trailblazed for women's rights. And now it's just about, you know, continuing and passing the baton. When I'm sort of, you know, done, then, you know, the next generation will come through. But like you said earlier, I can't be what I can't see. So I will continue to be the loudest noise, be the brightest star um, because I think it's important that girls have role models and girls have the opportunity to to be seen. What kind of areas do you think still need that drastic improvement? Where are we still falling short? Like where do you think you'll be focusing your attention next? I think it's about finding allies because there are a lot of men who support women and I think it's just about continuing to bring them along the journey and it's not us versus them. It's like how can we collectively get the best out of the organisation because at the end of the day that's what we're here for. It's not me versus you. It's about what's going to be best and how can we continue to improve people, how can we continue to get more memberships or drive more revenue and so I think it's more about finding the the allies and, and bringing them along the journey. I want to touch base on um, your mentor's advice to back yourself. How do you turn down the voices of self-doubt and create a voice of reassurance in your own mind to to be able to do that, to back yourself? I'm still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's more about making sure that I've got a really strong support system around me. I have a few quotes around me that continue to, that I look at every sort of like a a vision board and I always fall back on them when I go, oh, I'm not good enough to go, actually, there are people around that support me and there are people that see me as a leader and will continue to drive me and back me and and push me along the way. And there's, I always come back to this moment. I was in the Rebel Sports getting a new pair of footy boots um, and all out of the corner of my ear, I just hear this like high pitched squeal going, oh my God, what the hell's going on there? This little girl, she would have been about six, maybe seven, running up to her mum with these bright pink footy boots to go, mum, mum, these are the ones, these are the ones I want to play footy in. In that moment, like I literally had a tear in my eye because this girl has no idea the opportunity that she has in front of her and that she can now dream and be the next Daisy Pierce, the next Taylor Harris, you know, Darcy Vessio, Brianna Davy, Chloe Malloy, whoever it may be, she can be that. Um, And that for me is like the real driver that I will continue to have as I continue to push these um, stereotypes and keep driving the message, you know, that we're here and we're here to stay. In terms of looking back on your time, what piece of advice would you give to Penny all those years ago? Stick with it, girl. Um, (laughs) I think for me it was just about allow yourself to be in the moment. What did you learn and where can you go from here? So I think for me it was more just about you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing and it will all work out because there were some pretty dark times going through that court case as a young girl to – then, you know, being at the Collingwood Football Club and not being as successful as you want it to be to then, 
reading the rewards of being a coach to now back at Williamstown where, again, we're not as successful but the rewards and just keep working at it because they will come. Amazing. Penny, thank you so much for joining me today. That uh, It's been great chatting with you. Ah, loved it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.